Welcome to the Diversity Remix, only provocative conversations at the intersection of business, politics, and culture. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week's episode, As the Pendulum Swings. In our deep dive today, a battle over race, class, and power at Smith College. And in our Courage or Cringe segment, the Cherokee Nation wants their name back, U.S. soccer gets a penalty, and European toy company Kobe gets a history lesson. Do college administrators have a responsibility to enact school policy based on the individual truths of their students? Or is codifying the subjective a recipe for a disaster? Do companies have a right to utilize sovereign national symbols in their branding if they do so out of respect? Or do they exploit the rights of others irrespective of their motive? Do sports unions owe it to the athletes they represent to support them in all their causes? Or are some causes simply not worth fighting for? And finally, is it possible for a toy company to educate kids through their products in a way that's historically accurate? Or are some episodes in human history devoid of educational value? This and much more this week on TDR. Jesus, what's going on? What's going on, Charlie? Welcome to March. I know, man. It's just it's way too, uh, way too quick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's been, it's been a year since uh, the COVID monster reared its head. Yeah, it, it has. And I know it happened before March, but you know what I mean. Like that's right. That's when kind of when it started really kicking. Yeah, I definitely remember. I mean, the to me the 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 pivotal moment was um, the NBA canceling his games. Yeah, uh, do you remember where you were? Was it like a? Yeah, I do because um, uh, I, I was, where I, was I was um. I was getting pretty involved with a nonprofit uh, that was really f- that was focused on helping kids in school, mm-hmm. um, and this, this, these ki- basically hip kids in school with entrepreneurship, right? To learn about entrepreneurship, and we were having a session, um, and they were going to be visiting. Um, they were going to be visiting uh, the an actual basketball game with the Clippers. So they were going to go to the game on that Friday. It was going to mm-hmm. be a game, and I forget what the day of the meetings was. Maybe it could have been like a Tuesday or something. And the next day. The NBA shut it all down, right? After you had multiple players report. Actually, initially, which is one player, I think they reported testing positive. Yeah. Uh, for 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 COVID, and then they had a second one as well. That was like a bellwether event. That yeah, I remember, I remember, and they, I, they mm-hmm. you know they shut down the basically the they paused the season after yeah. that. Well, they canceled the game. Was the first thing that happened that night, and then they, by the next morning, they they had basically paused the season. I remember I was in the gym. And the gym for like the last few days had started to take like seriously its cleaning. Like yeah. it started putting out the little wipes and was telling people like, no, no, we near seriously have to clean up after ourselves because there's this virus. Right, right, right. And it was at that moment, somebody in the gym was like, they canceled the NBA season. I was like, oh, this is real. You know, because for me, it was easy. I always equate like when it gets really serious is when people are willing to go, you know, set aside the money. That's when it gets serious. Yeah. And so to me, I was like, wow, these people would never do this unless it was literally a deadly thing or super sure. dangerous. Sure. Um, and that's what kind of brought it home to me. But anyway. Yeah, we've been tracking. I mean, before that, it was already, I mean, it was definitely in my radar, seeing it on the news and what was happening there. Yeah. And I think. And it was starting to pick up some spe- some steam, you know. It was that. And also the other bellwether moment for me was when Google sent all the employees home. Oh, interesting. I remember that. They were like, and because and, I looked up how many employees Google have and it was 100,000 in North America. Yeah. And they literally said like, go home. Like that just seemed like a moment. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, here we are in March, a year later. Um, we have a really interesting deep dive. I mean, I like the Courage and Cringes too, but the deep dive is actually really cool. A little bit of an obscure piece, yeah. but um, but it's super interesting, and I know we'll have lots to chat about. Our quest and our challenge will be to get it done in 
reasonable period of time. Which, which probably means we should get started. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Always our problem. Yeah, so this was a piece that, you know, definitely caught my attention when I first saw this. Um, because it's very, it's very while well, it happened a few years ago, at least the initial event that sort of kicked off this, this controversy, it's one that this type of story has been in the news a lot. And uh-huh. especially a lot, you know, that came over, the, over last year's summer with everything with George Floyd. And um, a lot of the issues that were reported, especially from African-Americans, you know, feeling that they were being targeted unfairly for just being right. there, for being being alive and being, you know, in, in, in sort of normal situations. So there was a piece by New York Times, right? And it covered this this complicated uh, controversy and, and, and resulting fallout that occurred at Smith College, right? Which is this little private college that is... Super old school. It's like 150 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So by the way, little no, little known trivia. One of my favorite Christmas movies is called White Christmas with Bing Crosby and uh, I think, it, not Danny Kaye, it's, uh, I forget his name, the other guy, but it's a 50s, classic 50s movie. And I like kind of Americana and nostalgia right. and stuff like that. And in that movie is a line where the uh, one of the characters is trying to set up the other guy with a girl, and the guy's basically saying that she's stuck up, right? Or mm-hmm. um, no, I'm sorry that she's that she's uneducated is what she what he's saying though. He doesn't want to go out there because she's you know she's not that bright. This girl. Okay. And the guy's response is, "Look, I know she didn't go to college. She didn't go to Smith." And so, like, Smith was put as oh, this, wow. like, kind of snooty, super intellectual sort of thing. That's That was the only reference I remember about Smith. When when this piece came up, I was like, I wonder if that's the same one. And sure enough, it is. So, that's anyway. so interesting. Your obscure well, so, 50s Christmas <laughs> trivia for the day. Uh, yeah, no, no one feel bad if you didn't get that reference. Um, I didn't either, so it's okay. <laughs> it's, but it's an old school. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, anyway, so in Smith, at Smith College in the summer of 2018, uh, Omo uh, Canote, a black student, recounted being harassed while eating lunch in a dorm lounge by a janitor and campus officer, right? Now, in a Facebook post, she kicked off that entire controversy. You know, Ms. Canote wrote, all I did was be black. It's, an outrage- uh, it's outrageous that some people question my being at Smith College and my existence overall as a woman of color. Now, the incident was immediately categorized as part of this growing national trend of harassment towards black people that had been all over social and in the news, right, of them literally doing everyday things of, of or, or what was started to be referred to as living while black, right? Mm-hmm. Now, for those of you who may not remember some of these, this is a lot, you know, we talk now a lot about Karens. This is where the whole Karen phenomena kind of kicked up, really like kicked up with people being harassed for barbecuing, being harassed right. for trying to- Barbecuing while black. Yeah, yeah. W- w- trying to walk into their own buildings that they that they live in. Bird watching while black. Bird watching while black. Before, all of these different incidents that yeah. were horrible, that were documented, that were shared on social. Mm-hmm. So I think part of it also came from this, you know, this moment that was already very, uh, this trend that people were very sensitive to. And, and when this happened, when she put this post, the fallout was immediate, was very quick. Um, the college president immediately apologized. Um, the janitor who had initially approached uh, Ms. Canote uh, was put on leave. The janitor, uh, campus police officer, and even cafeteria, a cafeteria employee were all accused of being racist with their name and emails listed on Facebook, yes. right? Uh, the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN picked up the story and made it national. Then the American Civil Liberties Union uh, came in and they took the case and profiled it as eating while black. Once again, this sort of mm-hmm. context of living while black. Mm-hmm. And then for Smith College, they instituted an anti-bias training, revamped the campus police, and instituted the creation of dormitories set aside for black students and other students of color, which was, by the way, part of the recommendation what... From the ACLU. ACLU, what they were asking for as part yeah. of the, this case, right? So... 
most of us that maybe heard of the story, maybe heard of what happened to the fallout, but probably heard of some piece. And I actually do remember this event happening, and we're hearing about it, and probably reading it on either CNN or or, or New York Times. But then, and what I think what this piece in the New York Times really did, it kind of went back and then looked at well, what really happened after the fact, right? And what was the, the sort of the remaining fallout? Because everyone kind of saw the first piece is like this event happening that seemed very traumatic for the student, and then all of this response right away from the administration, from the administration, right? But the interesting thing is that when you actually look at this, at the actual facts, they didn't quite line up uh, as as sort of straightforward as just you know being yet another case of of living while black, or in this case, eating while black, right? So, a couple of things here: one, an independent investigation found that there was no evidence of a bias. And by the way, that uh, independent investigation was actually requested, I believe, yeah, by, by Smith one of the- by Smith College. Right. They actually they, they brought in a law firm. Now you can say the fact that it was requested by Smith College doesn't make it not that independent. Yeah, maybe, right? But well, I thought there was one of the people that was accused of being racist also had an uh, an investigation. That they uh, I don't know. Yeah, that part I didn't I didn't catch that. Okay. Um, now part of the facts that came out is Miss Cano was actually eating in a deserted dorm that had been closed for the summer. Uh, the janitor who initially approached the approached her. You know, had been encouraged by administration to notify security if they saw any unauthorized people in there. So she was basically in, in a building that, she was, that there was no one supposed to be in there. And then the campus police, uh, uh, the police officer, like all campus police, was unarmed. By the way, part of the initial post that Ms. Cano put was saying that she felt her life threatened and, and made claims of, of him being armed. Now, you can say those was kind of hit the moment, so maybe she didn't you know, quite, quite realize it. But even though, and by the way, the cafeteria employee who uh, who was also been accused of being racist, it turns out that the only thing she had done was that she had mentioned to Ms. Canote that the cafeteria where she was getting her food from was actually reserved for a summer program for children. And therefore, no students were supposed to be in there uh, getting food. And she was one that, frankly, had been you know roped into this whole case and been very publicly shamed as being racist, mm. something that had followed her and, frankly, all of the people that got involved in this all throughout, even though branded. they're they're yeah branded as racist, uh, even though their individual actions, when looked at now with more detail of what they had done, at least from first blush, don't seem to be at least driven by race, but more driven by this policy of having a student being in a building that's that supposed to be closed down, they're not supposed to be in, and then lim- literally following protocol uh, of how they were supposed to handle it. But it, you know, and, and it speaks to a whole lot of things, and I'd love to me to get into it with you, Charlie, but. Mm-hmm. Part of this also comes, I think, from the fact that this, specifically at Smith College, they were, A, administration sounds like they had had some history of not dealing that great with race or at least having some controversy, right? There's, yeah. a, there's a chronology there, by the, especially by the, by the president of the university. In some case, like not denouncing, I forgot what was the comment like in a panel. Um, oh, yeah, someone that used the N-word in a panel as a way to take away its power. Right. And then president not coming out denouncing that usage and students are being, not being happy about that. And another one where in trying to be supportive of, of I think as police officers being prosecuted mm-hmm. for, for uh, um, like hurting African-Americans, she, she basically made the quote, all lives matter in the context of support, but then was interpreted as this, what tends to be the sort of the anti-black lives matter, you know, rallying, common, cry. rallying cry. Yeah. So there have been some missteps there. So obviously a, a, an administration that was probably a little bit, um, freaked out and a little bit oversensitive to wanting yeah. to course correct very quickly yeah. and, and immediately <clears> responding <throat> to what at least at first blush seemed like a very obvious case of yet again uh, African-American people just being targeted for no reason. But when you, you peel back the onion, it actually doesn't look to be the case. Yeah, I, I, I want to say just first off the top that I actually am very happy that the New York Times actually did this piece because I think of 
like, are we coming to the point where in a lot of newsrooms, somebody would have said like, hey, you know what? This one's kind of a low, low percentage one. Right. We don't want to come out on the wrong side of this. Well, and, and they also not. call out their, to some extent, they actually call out their own coverage because they're because saying they, the yeah. New York Times themselves were one they, of the, the publications. Yeah, latched onto it. Yeah. But I do, but, I'm, but I am happy that they actually, um, you know, took this on. And look, I'll say this just at the start of this discussion, that I'm not yet old enough to be super cynical about everything that young people do. Because I think that um, young people have been responsible throughout history of some of the greatest, you know, movements and innovations and art and music and whatever. And there's something about being young that um, we just have a moment in our personal histories where we come out with a lot of things that can change the world. And I believe that that's the case. But youth is also a lot of the times identified with kind of whininess and capriciousness and, you know, being poorly formed. And I certainly look back at my own youth so many times when I would have literally just like, you know, I cannot believe I said that or did that or whatever. And this piece to me, you know, is more in the latter category than in the, than in the former category in terms of the actions that were made here by this young woman um, who I have no doubt has experienced, you know, racism in her life. But who, in this case, based on the evidence, doesn't seem like she was in, experiencing it here. Well, or it could have been experiencing a lot of racism in her life at the school, by the way. It's just that like, this specific like event, then, yeah. when you dig into it, is right. not exactly in, you know, yeah, I mean, well, it, it, mm-hmm. it's not exactly the way that is being, being portrayed, right? I also think it's emblematic from an administration standpoint of the equivalent of like helicopter parenting. Okay, yeah. like, you know what I mean. This whole yeah, idea—that's actually a really good way to describe it. Yeah, it's I almost agree with like you. it's yeah. almost like um, I mean, you've you've heard the stuff about like oh, you know, trophies for eighth place and all that stuff. But it's this idea of um, like w- whatever your kid does or says that you sort of run to the edge case automatically, mm-hmm. and it's like you you try to solve everything in this sort of radical way. And it's it's you don't let the kid I don't know deal cope with his own emotions self soothe cry it out brush right. it off all those kind of old school terminologies like it's the opposite of that right so that's kind of this helicopter parenting idea and that's when I read about all the things that the um, administration did particularly this woman who clearly a few years before probably stepped in it right and now somebody said like hey you gotta like every one of these things. And you see her like trying to tamp every one of these things down, and the more she does, it's almost like the worst it gets. Right. And 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 the, and the and the students are increasingly less satisfied or unsatisfied. So, I think that I like the fact that the, that the Times did it. I think it's again in the kind of former, not the latter of these camps in terms of young people. I also think the other interesting thing, which I think is definitely addressed in the piece, but they don't go into it very deep. Deep um, is this sort of idea of class versus color, which is a lot of these students that are going here. This is a seventy. $80,000 a year school, something like that. Right, very expensive school, yeah. A lot of these kids are going there who may be students of color, you know, are are in this, you know, very elite institution, high, you know, very expensive, and the claims they're making against the, uh, the people who are working there are largely around people that are significantly lower in terms of their socioeconomic class than they are. They happen to be white. In this case, but right. they're also poor. They they don't have an education, and so it's really interesting that the Times piece suggests this dilemma. They they do, but and I, yeah, I and I don't ahead. think they're phrasing it as simply the students of color who are high net worth, but really all the students that go these are high net worth, because they actually talk about that even for some of the employees, blue collar employees mm-hmm. that work at this at this at this school, they're all concerned with basically trying to correct any student. Because they're afraid of any student basically calling them out and them them getting and fired. And getting fired, yeah. So, th- so there is this sort of uh, over underlying 
uh, issue that you have people that are probably walking around fairly entitled, right, in terms of what they feel, how they need to be treated, and at any point being able to raise their hand and yeah. then stuff gets done, yeah. right? And there's this concern there. To me, one of the most interesting lines I highlight, I brought it out and, and bolded it, of the story, you know, and I think it captured the essence of the entire mm-hmm. thing, right, which, you know, the, the, the author, which I don't have in front of me, wrote, the story highlights the tension between a student's deeply felt sense of personal truth and facts that are odds with it, right? So is this notion that <laughs> right. there is this personal truth that they... And, and then there's the truth. Right. Yeah. You know, and like, I'm not questioning, once again, how Miss Canote felt. I'm sure at that moment, maybe she did feel very targeted, right? And felt like she was being that, oh, because I'm black, that's the reason why you're talking to me this way. That's the reason why you're harassing me. And the reality, we don't know if it would have, it would have been another student, if the janitor, even though he had been warned to like call security, would have felt comfortable enough to say, hey, by the way, just know this building is closed. You're not supposed to be in here. We get a chance. Like, do you mind just, just stepping just out? Stepping out, yeah. Or does the janitor, because it's the non-white student, says, "Oh, I don't want to. Well, I don't want to step on this one. So therefore, let me but get someone else." Yeah. And by doing that, you're actually escalating the issue. You're making it more of a problem, a bigger deal than it otherwise would be. So and there, there is the those problem. things in there that's, as well. That's you know? one of the biggest parts of this problem for me, and you've heard me say this before, is this idea that I think that when we lose our own personal agency to understand things um, as objectively, you know. Uh, uh, curious or dangerous or positive or negative or whatever, but basically our ability to use our reason to interpret a situation when we leave that to the side because we're concerned about whatever the political fallout may be. I don't think that's good, even if we're even if we're right, even if we're right about that. I think that ultimately the result is a negative one, and it seems that at least based on what these employees were saying is like they feel that they can't take that they can't say the obvious or what they might think is obvious for right. fear of reprisal of some kind of repercussion and it sort of shows in a lot of these the cases that the times points out about these people like a couple years later still being called out on that's the, receiving death threats the and, saddest thing about this entire story right like that especially that cafeteria employee like they all had were dealing with it but mm-hmm. she was saying that you know because she had been branded as a racist on social she was getting letters. She was having a hard time getting another job later on. People didn't really want to hire her because she was like the one that had been involved in this incident. For someone that, at least according to her and according to the investigation, was that all she did was basically mention to the student that the cafeteria was reserved for the summer program for kids, right? That she needed to go somewhere else to get it. And by the way, didn't even like stop her from getting her food. She still got her food. She like decided it was just better off to just drop it. She didn't want to make it a, b- a bigger deal. And that was enough to brand her for the rest of her life as being racist. I also think as part of that, though, the sad thing is that the school never publicly came out yeah. and apologized and corrected the issues that, that they found or the lack of concerns that were actually there and said, hey, it doesn't, it doesn't I think, take away from the fact how, you know, the, the young woman who initially reported how she may have felt. Once again, she's very entitled to her, her feelings. Maybe she felt exactly like she was being targeted. But I think you could actually say both. Say, hey, we don't want any of our students to ever feel like they're being targeted for the for the you know for the for the color of their skin or for any other or for any reason whatsoever and we'll do our best to make sure that all students are being treated fairly however in this case we do need to give context to why this happened and especially call out the fact that our employees you know at least based on the facts that we could that we can garner here were not acting out of malice and simply following protocol for something that we have set up in the, in, in in our university and you could you know acknowledge both the feeling which i think is what miss canole was feeling and also, in some, and that's all the facts of the, of the case of what was happening here, to at least help alleviate 
some of the long-term damage that does get created because once you are branded as racist, yeah. it's like, good luck trying to get that off your name. There was no nuance, though, in their, clearly in their discussion because they, they, they didn't want to run. They, I bet you that they probably viewed what you just described as a risk. We don't want to take that. We want to come out and clearly and definitely condemn X, Y, Z. We want to make no capitulation, no consideration for what the other thing may have been. I think these things are calculated because otherwise you would think after a couple of years, which is w- w- how long it's been since this happened, they would have done something like that. But that never happened because right. they think that the well, they wanted to like, get over it. Like just maybe, hopefully it, maybe, it kind of maybe that's disappears, it. I just, you know, I, I just think that um, that, you know, there's there's this overwhelming lack of personal agency when it comes to these things. And I think that ultimately we end up it counterintuitively sets all these causes backwards in time, not forwards in time. And I'll cite as one example of this, which I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on, completely separate issue perhaps, but one that's tied to this story, is some of the um, considerations that the administration gave to Miss Canute, uh, um, we're pronouncing her name, we don't know if it's, it might be Canute, but anyway, um, uh, to to her, uh, that were asked for by her and by her lawyer, one of those being to set aside dormitory space just for the black students and for the students of color. Like, and, and by the way, I know that there are sororities and fraternities and whatever maybe who are historically black and, and by virtue of that have an over-index of, of black folks in them. But I think setting aside physical real estate and property where you say only people of a particular color can go to is insane. I literally think that's insane. I think that is the exact opposite of the kind of things that we should be doing to try to help people understand one another is it further balkanizes and sets them aside. And I can't imagine how that, I mean, I understand how how it may fit the bill immediately. Like, I feel like I want my own space with my own people. But how does that ultimately help us understand one another? If what we're saying is you're not allowed in here if you're not a particular color. And imagine if this were inverted. If it was white or Latino or anything else. I mean, well, maybe not Latino as much, but certainly white. If it was white, a space for white students, I mean, that would never in a billion years fly. And it, yeah. you know, and I think it's a pretty, to me, it's a pretty gray area in that one. I, I actually would really love to understand a little bit better in terms of what that actually means, um, you know, and to what degree do do these students of color feel like they have any space with that university that it feels like they're welcomed in? Because while maybe not designated as white-only spaces in a school like this, and I'm making ma- massive assumptions, I just don't know. I think part of the reality could be is could be a school, a school that is so overwhelmingly white mm-hmm. that for many of those students of color, they just don't feel like there's any space that it feels like it could be their space within the university. And almost creating this as a, as a place of to welcome them, I think I could see the value of that. I understand your point because to a large extent, it's like, well, if we do that all the time, then we have less interactions with each other. I, I get that. I, I mean, I can only speak to, in this case, my own personal experience of seeing those kind of spaces, um, especially my undergrad, right? So I, I did my undergrad at UC Santa Barbara. And there um, we had a... Um, in an office called MEP, which was basically what was I'm blanking out what it stood for Minority Engineering Program. That's what it was called for, which ended up getting taken away uh, after a while. But initially, it was a space where we could basically get together engineering students that were mm-hmm. diverse to be able to get together and study, do other other kinds of things. Um, as part of it, by the way, we had not just minority students, or at least not in a traditional sense of race minority, but also women. Uh, some of the groups that were women were also coming there as well that were white. Uh, will come into the into the space, but it was designated as a minority, as a as a space that was especially welcoming uh, or tailored for more diverse students. Right mm-hmm. now, the challenge that we had in a case like Santa Barbara at the time when I went to school is that the the vast majority of engineering students were not like not diverse at all. 
Almost all of them were men and white. Right? Yeah, and, and I understand that in the case of the constitution of that organization was made as a place to have a community, a minority community around a particular degree, have a, a, a meeting place. The purpose of it was not by its nature to exclude other races from it, though. And in, in this case, it seems like that's what exactly what it would be. Well, and that's why I, when I see it, like I, will, I frankly, when you understand your point, and I think it's a fair point, I, will, I will really will want to know more of what that actually means in terms of how that's, uh, that's set aside. Um, by the way, I, 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 I could see how that could be the case. At mm-hmm. the same time, you know, I also just think about my own experience of going to school at the time, and it just felt like. The entire school was was built mostly for for, for I wouldn't even say like non minorities non minorities yeah. I would say that and it felt very welcoming to non non minorities and it, it, you know if you're a minority in, in at those at those at the time it just felt like you were complete you know a uh, uh, you know just in, in some places that you try you were trying to find folks that you could relate to a little bit, little bit more and having this kind of space I think helped a lot yeah so and I can understand how that might feel that way I just I always look at the situation where maybe somebody wanders into that space not knowing what it is. What, how are we gonna? How are you gonna explain to them that they're in the wrong location, the wrong building, the right, re, the wrong real estate? They're the wrong color for the space. Let's assume they don't know, right? And I imagine that conversation. And I say to myself, how does this conversation go towards building better relationships, a better community? How does that conversation go? It's like, right. hey, you're in the wrong space. Why? Well, you're the wrong color. This is for black people only. Like, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that. I mean, look, the one thing I would say... That would have never happened in your MEP program is what I'm saying. I, yeah, I, would, yeah I, I agree with that. Look, uh, I'll, I could also remember in more so, social gatherings um, when I was, uh, um, you know, especially early in my relationship with my, with my ex-wife, who is Kenyan, I remember going to a lot of places that were, that, frankly, that I never heard of of, of, of knew about uh, that were, you know, gathering places for a lot of people that were African descent. Not African-Americans, African descent, right? Restaurants, places to go out to. And my experience at many times being the, one of the few non-African descent person in there is that it was extremely welcoming. People were actually excited to kind of share their culture. The fact like, oh, you have someone walking in, like, oh, you like the food? Oh, great. I never felt once where people were, and it could be maybe I'm, I'm just not that sensitive to that no, stuff. No, but I think, no, but so I think. So I think it also depends on how that dynamic it gets created, right? That's, so, that's my point. It goes to the concept, how it was actually constituted. Yeah. The whole so idea, what you just I, described is like Little Ethiopia here in LA, which I love going to. And I love like Misab and these different restaurants that are there when they're open. And when you go there, you feel like you're coming to somebody's living room and it's the most amazing thing in the world. But to, if it, it would be the equivalent of saying this is only for Ethiopians. And that's not what they say. They say, come look at my culture, come share it, come experience it. This seems more to me like this is only for me. So yeah, it seems uh, to be the opposite of that well, to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. You could be right. We have to look at the origins of it. By the way, yeah, yeah. The, the stats, just because oh. you asked. So um, uh, the ethnic diversity of the undergrads at Smith College, it looks like, as happens with a lot of these kind of high up there schools, you have essentially parity or slightly low parity with whites, about 45%. If you look at the demographics for the nation, it's about, you know, just a little bit better than half, I think, of people in, uh, from 24 and below are white. So a little under index, big Asian over index, it's about 12% relative to about a 5% in the population. And an under index for black, for Latino, and for um, kind of unknown or mixed race. Mm-hmm. So under index for all those, over index for Asian, slight or in parity to slightly below parity for white. Is what the, by the way, yeah. the diversity of the faculty, on the other hand, you, I'll show you this just so you can see it. Nobody, of course, can see it. But if you look at the diversity of the, they've got some work to do on the faculty side. 85% of the faculty is white. 
Yeah. And I think that's, you that, know, that plays a they role actually role. talked about this, right? Like if it, and in the article, they talked about how Ms. Canone, everyone that she, that she interacted with in that day was white. And I think part of it, um, I think you could have two things. You could have, obviously, there's the optics of what that looks like, uh, you know, and not being great. I think it could be cases where obviously people don't have the right kind of empathy because, you know, they're dealing with something mm-hmm. they're really not familiar with. Or the opposite, which is massive overcorrection because everyone's so concerned of not knowing how to deal with these cultural nuance. And I think all those could be, could be right in, in this case. The, the thing when I think about the story relative to a lot of things that have happened, whether it's people being, whether like even police officers being accused of, of, uh, of police brutality with, with diverse people is that the unfortunate part is we are at a moment that it, it, it makes it really hard to have not only nuance, but also take the time to figure out what's what. Like everything requires an immediate response. Otherwise, you're either in the side of good or in the side, in the side of evil. Uh, and I think for in these kind of cases, I mean, the, the, the thing that to me that was missing is that you can still acknowledge once again, and maybe I'm being, getting hung up on this. You can still acknowledge the feeling that this student and, and validate her like personally feeling prosecuted because of being black without or while still being able to say, having said that. We, I do want to fully understand or, or what exactly took place. Or you're wrong about where, the facts Where we fell hand. down. I acknowledge everything that you feel, but you're wrong about these particular set of facts. Yeah, but at the time when it happened, they may not, you may not know that. It's my point, right? right. Like your immediate response, yeah. her immediate response was like, we denounced it, da, 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 like everything, I'm supportive of you. and, and we, Without knowing Without knowing. The, yeah. the, the, the point I'm making is you don't, you're not going to know all the facts when you respond. Okay. So, I, I mean, my only point of encouragement would be like, maybe the way to handle this is exactly that is like, look, rather than fighting it, because I think the little thing that people make a mistake is when they immediately fight it like oh well we're not going to respond until we hear all the facts when there's some things that maybe obviously look like something is wrong here yeah i would say acknowledge the 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 the, the reaction this person has she's entitled to her reaction entitled to, to her feeling while still giving some thought or at least maybe after the fact be able to come back and say hey now that we've actually looked at it there's actually more to the story and we want to at least be able to you know uh to take away some of the burden from some of our employees who were uh, unfortunately, sort of roped into this whole this whole conversation, and 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 you know, and maybe potentially harmed, you know, for the future. So you, I, I think you, there is some nuance there. You should be able to. Did you did you um determine the the amount of time between the college president's actions and the event itself? How long the, the response was was immediate. Immediate, right? The response was immediate. How quickly they went from that, even make some of the changes. It didn't actually cover in the, in the article. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least I didn't notice it. Um, but my guess is it was all pretty quick. It also talked about protests from students who were like very quick to be. So it wasn't just her, the individual. It's like the student body right. really rallied right away. Right. Um, but it seems to me that they put the janitor on leave. Um, that was all. Was they, all, that was pretty immediate. They, the, the 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 initial comment from the from the president of the university and putting the janitor on leave. And I think I, I think it was also the 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 campus police officer also on leave. Although he ended up I think leaving leaving the job altogether. Uh, was all very immediate. Yeah, and that's to your point. It seems that the more measured response would have been to acknowledge. Maybe you put everybody like I, I was still would have put them on leave just maybe, so you could figure it out. Maybe you put them on exactly. But what I'm saying is, do you think that that leave happened before or after they had a conversation with the person? You think uh, they literally yeah, on, I, on the on the on the on the words of this young woman did they put them on leave or did they did they get the accusation, talk to him, hear his side of the story, and then put him on leave? My guess is it was immediate. So, so, so is it for me? Yeah, I believe right. The same and, too. and I and I think, by the way, my recommendation will be to do that as well, but to talk to him and say, "Hey, I want to hear everything you have to say, but just know while we figure this out, I just can't have you on campus. We're still going to pay you, right? And I think it's a difference, right? Paid leave versus unpaid leave. But mm-hmm. 
just to reduce some of the heat right now while we figure it out. Yeah. I can't have you on camera. I think that's perfectly fine. I think that's fine too. That's perfectly fine. Uh, the, the part that seems missing here, there was no nuance, no room to try to address the alternative that maybe these people were actually just following, just doing their job. Maybe this wasn't a, a case of racism. Yeah, and look. And it, there was no public sort of room for any of that while this conversation was taking place. And I think that's the part that I thought was, was if anything was wrong here, to me, that's what concerned me the most. My, my big philosophical problems with this story is, number one, it assumed negative intent of everybody involved, right? The young woman assumed everybody had negative intent and acted on that. And the second thing is that the, the solution for um, issues of racism and all social issues, in my opinion, is an increase, uh, increasing the bias of relationship that we have with people. And it's very difficult to have relationships with people when, um, when these are the kind of tactics that get taken. Now, having said that, you also have responsibility as an administrator to the protection of your students. And so taking those steps, like you said, maybe initially seem appropriate. But then what happened afterwards doesn't seem like it was in keeping with that. And that's why these people, at least by, again, New York Times reckoning, which is not going to be some conservative perspective, the New York Times even acknowledged these people are kind of screwed. You know what I'm saying? For on an ongoing basis. And they've been accused of nothing. It's a scarlet letter that you can't, you know, you can't take off. Right. And I just don't think that that helps out the situation. So I agree. For me, it was it was a difficult one. And the very last thing that I just, you know, I know we have to move on, but the very last thing that I wanted to just ask you about specifically was the um, some of the comments that the professors were making in terms of, I know we talked about people feeling like they're a little bit walking on eggshells in terms of the, the uh, staff, like the cafeteria people, janitors and all that. But some of the professors also felt that they weren't able to, if you weren't on a particular side uh, politically on an issue, not only were you not, not only were you wrong, but you were evil. And yeah, I, thought I, that, that. I thought that comment was actually pretty interesting yeah. with respect to where a disagreement with somebody goes into a different territory where it becomes a demonization of that particular person. And I just wanted to get your I just perspective think, on it. Uh, yeah, I saw that as well. Look, th- that's never good. You, you, there's, there's never a scenario in my mind where you can even have any kind of dialogue where immediately someone is put in the, in the camp of, of evil. It's no longer about I disagree with you on something. We may be in a different size of a conversation. I think at that point, when you're putting someone as good versus evil, that means that there is no middle ground uh, or there isn't going to be an opportunity to find some kind of way to bridge the gap between those two points of view. And, and that's, frankly, in all cases where you see that, you know, that's um, it's just it's just not great. It's just not good. You know, we talked about it last week with um, I'm forgetting right now the representative of Illinois, right? Where oh, he was, yeah, 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 yeah. He was like literally being accused by his own family members as doing the work, for, yeah, as being work, you know, work for evil. Mm-hmm. And that's once again, whenever you get put into that kind of category, it's just uh, I think there's no interest in wanting to find any kind of understanding or common ground. Agreed, agreed. Okay, good conversation, Smith College. Let's move on to all of our uh, interesting topics on courage or cringe. Um, Automotive news to kick uh, us off. Cur- courage or cringe? So first one, uh, Cherokee Nation uh, wants Jeep to stop using the tribe's name that's graced some models since 1975. Jeep Cherokee. The Jeep Cherokee, that's right. One mm-hmm. of their most successful brands, uh, lines of, 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 of brands for, for Jeep. Uh, Chief Principal of the Cherokee Nation, Chuck Hoskins Jr., sent an interview with Insider, previously Business Insider, uh, I think people need to understand that as proud as a corporation might be of a name they selected decades ago, mm-hmm. people should think about how proud the Cherokee people are to still be a people after all that we have been through. And that is far more valuable than whatever marketing research might show the Cherokee name 
has been the Jeep and its parent companies over the decades. This is a corporation that is making a great deal of money off the name of our tribe. They speak in terms of carefully selecting names to honor tribes. So our names were carefully selected by our ancestors before written history. This has been our proud name for a long time. I don't see a way to compromise on the subject of a corporation marketing on the Cherokee name. Now, a little bit about the car. Was, you know, according to Kelly Blue Book, in 2020, Jeep Cherokee was the 24th best-selling car in the U.S. with more than 135,000 units sold. And the Grand Cherokee ran 15th with more than 20,000 vehicles sold. So big, big brand, right? And according to a Jeep spokesperson, they said, and I quote, our vehicle names have been carefully chosen and nurtured over the years to honor and celebrate Native Americans' people for their nobility, prowess, and pride. We are more than ever committed to respectful and open dialogue with Cherokee Nation Principal Chief Chuck Hoskins Jr. Mm-hmm. So, courage or cringe? Um, it, it has to be on uh, on um, on uh, Cherokee Nation, basically yep. calling out Jeep for uh, the use of their name. Do you want me to go first? Sure. Okay. This one may surprise surprise you, but I I, I was on courage for this one. And the reason why, why would it surprise me, Charlie? I don't know because you're surprisable. I don't know. Okay. You're, you're fair enough, you're, I guess. I surprise you often. So um, I'm going to guess that you and I are probably aligned on this one, but we'll see. So uh, for me, it was courage, and for me, it really broke largely on an understanding, at least to the to the extent that I understand it, of what we're dealing when, with when we're dealing with issues of um, Native American uh, subject matter like this, and that is that they that the native the native uh, territory is a sovereign country, right? Like we forget that because mm-hmm. it's in Oklahoma or it's whatever. It's like no, it's in you know the Cherokee land, um, which is part of the Cherokee Nation, which has its own president and executive right. party and all this stuff. They have their own constitution. And in fact, after doing some research, I, rec- I-, I found out that um, to the extent that there's been questions about what rules the U.S. court or the Cherokee court, there- there's been a number of issues that have come um, to court, to even the Supreme Court, and where um, cases that had to do with Native American sovereignty, even on issues that were significantly, say, important as it relates to the govern- government of the entire country, like, for instance, who gets to di- who gets to say who is a citizen of these nations, and can you mm-hmm. legally discriminate against certain people? Because the Cherokee Nation at some point in the 80s actually said that certain Afro-Cherokees, who were the um, result of Cherokee uh, people um, and, and uh, former African slaves coming together, that they were not Cherokee um, mm-hmm. tribes that. folks. And they made that determination. And even though the U.S. didn't agree with it, thought it was wrong, they basically sided with... Um, right. There, there was the rule of law. There basically. was a rule of law, right? Yeah. So, so, I, so I thought to myself, this isn't like a corporate dispute or a trademark dispute in that sense, or somebody being just overly woke or whatever it may be. This is a sovereign nation saying, this is the name of our country. You, this other country is utilizing it in a way that I don't agree with, or a corporate entity within another country... And therefore, I've got something to say, and I'm asking you not to do it anymore. So, like, that changed it a little bit for me, okay. where it was more than just this other thing. Now, having said that, I still wish that they didn't have to do it, because there's, I looked it up, there's like 17 other Cherokee companies that are all probably stressing and calling their lawyers right now, because if this one goes <laughs> yeah, they down, are. it's going to go down for, for them. <laughs> yeah, and, they and, are. And I also yeah. thought, and this is my hope in those conversations that they're having with Jeep, that there could be a workaround to this in the sense that 
if what they want is the proper acknowledgement and recognition um, and utilization of the term, maybe they can work together to figure out what that could look like, and maybe there's a way to support some Cherokee initiatives that would actually be good for Cherokee Nation, mm-hmm. for the country at large, what have you. Um, so that that's my hope. Um, but uh, anyway, ultimately, if I had to pick, I come down on courage on this one. What about um, you? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm the same. I'm courage on this one. And I, I definitely did not go into the depth that you did. But I think to me it was a little bit, like, it was really straightforward in the sense that, look, whenever we've seen these cases where people are calling for a name change on something that's been, you know, used historically, uh, but because of change of times or or just, you know, as attitudes and, you know, a, a around recognizing and honoring someone, someone, especially in Native American tribes, you know, has changed you know, in this case, being that it was the Cherokee directly asking for it, then to me it's like almost a, a non-issue. Like, look, is the actual Cherokee Nation who's asking for the Cherokee name to be to not be well, used? Yeah, well, it's point, not like yeah. this other random group that has nothing to do with like they never really spoke to Cherokees like, before. You shouldn't use Native American right. tribe names. And while in some yeah. cases I actually, I and mean, you and I have debated that, I, I agree with it with the, with the broader sentiment. In this case, the reason why I, I guess Cherokee itself, the name didn't immediately come top of mind to me, is because it's not a derogatory nickname being used, right? Uh, like Redskins will be a good example to me mm-hmm. that I could see like, hey, I don't care whether you are part of, of any kind of Native American nation or not, using a derogatory, remember I use the, the example we like, well, if you call anyone the wetbacks, I will, have, I will be, offensed, uh, I'll be offended by that, mm-hmm. regardless, right? Even if it was a Latino right. who came up with it. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, that's just not good, good usage. So I think to me that that's the reason why I came in courage. The, the other thing that I would, I would say, at least it's a good first step by Jeep, is the way that they answered it. That was actually really, really good, right? Is that they sort of gave a little bit of what's why they did it. And by the way, even if it's not true, I think it's a go-in answer. Yeah, but then you see the guy's response, though, was like, listen, because they were like, we we go into a lot right. of thinking for our names to make sure that they're super respectful and whatever. And his guy's like, look, we've been we've been Cherokee since before recorded history. It's right, like, right. So you having 45 years of thoughtfulness doesn't even come close to what we, That's it, how I read his response. It, it is. But what I did like was mostly the second part of that sentence, right, which is we are more than ever committed to a respectful and open dialogue with Cherokee Nation. Yeah, absolutely. So to them, like, hey, this is why we did it. You may, you may you think it's... You may not agree. may not agree. It's okay. And more than ever, we're going to actually want to talk to you about it hopefully figure it out and figure out what the right way forward. And maybe they'll walk out with this with even additional blessing by the Cherokee Nation, which it's is even possible. better. You know? It's possible. So Let's hope. That's taking, uh, you know, what I know is, is, is a you know, tough situation and having trying to make the best of it. 80s reference, by the way, because it's been a while since I've made one. There was a great, a great song in the late 80s called Cherokee. By the band called by the band Europe. Remember Final Countdown, that one song back in the late eighties? No idea what you're talking about. Oh come on, come on! You don't. This I, is, I really don't know what you're talking about. This had a great keyboard riff. It was like the final countdown. Do, 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 do. You don't remember that? Do, oh do, do, yeah, do. yeah, yeah. I've heard okay, that. Okay, that yeah, band, that. that band had a, a in their like B side of that album was a song called Cherokee, which of course will now need to be rebranded. Because yeah, yes, it, um, yes, it they yes, are, I believe they were actually Swedish, so there's no way they can use it. Right. Um, <laughs> no, they weren't being thoughtful. And then, uh, of course, a Cherokee brand that was at JCPenney and Target and all back in the day. Oh, like, yeah, that's going yeah. to it's like got to be, jeans, right? Or, wasn't it jeans? and shirts and all that stuff. So, anyway, anyway, interesting uh, interesting story. What's next? It, it'll be interesting how that resolves itself in the, in the process. But, yeah, so what's next? So, let's, let's move to sports. So, um, Paralympian Seth John uh, was removed from the U.S. Soccer Athletes Council for a violation of his prohibited conduct policy after he made controversial slash racist speech mm-hmm. in support of the infamous anti-kneeling rule, or otherwise called Policy 6041, which was officially repealed. 
right? Now, By the, the way, if you have 604 policies in a subsection of one, uh, you got a few too many, my opinion. Yeah, yeah I mean, side note, side note. Summarize. Uh, the Athlete Council called out Seth John's comments saying they moved beyond a difference of opinion on policy and into this information and offensive rhetoric, right? Now, this rule had been put in place in response to the U.S. women's team star, Megan uh, Rapino. I would say, I would say wrong, Rapino, yeah. kneeling in support of Colin Kaepernick, right? Now, the USSF Board of Directors voted to repeal the policy last June. Uh, a decision the online annual meeting affirmed this past Saturday by a vote of 71%. Mm-hmm. Right? So what did John actually, or Jan, uh, actually say? Yes. So what let's, let's talk about that. So there's a couple of things. One is, after claiming he was citing FBI statistics, he said that 95% of deaths in black communities come at the hands of another black man. Mm-hmm. But by the way, on that one, just to kind of tackle that one immediately, mm-hmm. part of my concern when I hear that kind of comment and that comment always comes in response to uh, people basically protesting or or highlighting the concerns that they have around police brutality and even deaths being caused by police of, of diverse people. I was trying to think of what would be a good example okay. to equate it to. I got one. Um, but here's, here's a way that I, w- I would equate it to. Okay. Is if, uh, which, which is the Boeing plane that, that got... Oh, the Supermax or whatever? Yeah, whatever yeah. it is, right? 737 maybe? I think it's the 737. I think it's the 737. Well, but it was called Supermax, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So it's like, the, the, you know, the, the um, basically the, um, the FAA. Supermax, yeah. It's FAA, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, going, after, going after the Boeing 737 because it keeps on crashing. Yeah. And their response being, but yeah, but you look at all the traffic accidents that happens on scooters and using the birds. And you should really look into that because a or, lot more people get hurt there. Or 95% of the planes land. Exactly. So it's like, <laughs> wait, only, what? Only 5% <laughs> If crash. you look that way, like, let's talk about that yeah. problem. It's like, okay, let's, let's talk about that, the actual well, issue you, at hand. You could also do it by looking at any kind of either disease or, or, or disorder sure. that may be a small minority, but should still be something worthy to fight against, right? Right, right, right. right. So that's why, to me, when I hear that one, like, I, it's an automatic it's not cringe. The, it's not the start to a good conversation, it's that's not, for sure. It's not. Yeah. Uh, but he, he continues saying, and I quote, mm-hmm. I keep hearing how our country was founded on the backs of slaves, mm-hmm. even though approximately only 8% of the entire population who even owns slaves. I love that one. Yeah. Every race in the history of mankind has been enslaved by another demographic at some point in time. How'd you like to show Mrs. Lincoln? Yeah, exactly. Blacks have been enslaved. Hispanics have been enslaved. Asians, most recently in our country in the freaking 20th century, have been enslaved. Internment camps? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's mm-hmm. probably what you're referring to. Mm-hmm. Uh, natives have been enslaved. Whites have been enslaved. Shoot, I live in Africa for two and a half years where I could purchase people, slaves, between the price of 300 and 800 per person, per head, depending on their age, health, in physicality, I mean, this dude is going all in off. on the arguments. I mean, like, let me, let me continue because he wasn't done. Uh, There's more? Yeah. <laughs> was it, where were the social justice warriors and the news journalists there to bring their ruminations to these real atrocities? Mm-hmm. And yet, in all of history, only one country has fought to abolish slavery, the United States of America, where nearly 400,000 men died to fight for the abolishment of slavery underneath the same stars and banners that our athletes take a knee for. Their sacrifice is tainted with every knee that touches the ground. So those were the initial comments. By the way, this guy is supposedly um, also Native American. Yeah, that's what he said. He's he's mixed, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But then later on, after getting you know kicked off, um, he um, he doubled down in his apology. And I put apology in the big air quotes. He says, "I will never apologize for the statements I've made, (laughs) and will never bow down to the mob mentality of intimidation, bullying, or the social media warriors' Gestapo tactics." Now, he went on for a while, but the other part that was interesting, 
Uh, and I'll bring up two other points. So I'm embarrassed to represent a hypocritical federation that conducts a complete assault on diversity of thought without even asking clarifying statements from me in their smear campaign. Mm-hmm. He did have one point of clarification. He says, when I stated that a small percentage of people in our country who were responsible for the terrors of slavery, I was in no way minimizing the horrors of slavery, but simply illuminating the misplaced rage and squander opportunities to bring light, uh, bring to light the tens of millions of people who are enslaved today. Mm-hmm. End quote. There's yeah. more I can say there, but that's probably enough there. Your turn. Uh, encourage or cringe. Um, I guess we're, we're doing encourage or cringe on the decision to remove them on from the soccer federations. The decision. soccer right to remove yeah. them from uh, from the, um, the the athletes council. So yeah, I'm a I'm a courage on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the comments that he made. I, I guess I'll, a couple of things. I think they're not to the degree that. They want to have. I think it's a very. Oh, let me let me let me organize my thoughts. One is, you know, his his claim here about being diversity of thought, and we're big, uh, you know, proponents of diversity of thought. But there also comes a case where you just start making comments that simply is rhetoric that is going to be uh, just to inflame things. I don't see him as being proactive. I don't see him or or productive. I'm sorry, as trying to get to a better place in terms of how people understand where where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. His whole rationale that he goes into here, first of all, when he talks about that only 8% of the population owned slaves, like, yeah, they were called slave owners and the amount of wealth that they controlled. And even, by the way, I'm not sure that 8% is even true, but he, he on the one hand, he talks about how 400,000 men died, right, to fight to abolish slavery, and then 8% owned slaves. So, wait a minute, how could you have both right. 400,000 people fighting to win against 8% of the population at the time? No, it was the entire part of the country who literally would call themselves the slave states, who wanted to, you know, re- remove themselves from the, from the country in order to maintain slavery in, in, in the country. And, yeah, th- and that's why so many people actually died. So, and his whole argument that he's not trying to diminish the atrocity of slavery, but simply highlight where slavery is still taking place today. Like, that does not seem to be anywhere part of his, his, his calculus until he's making the case here uh, as part of his argument. I think if that was really a cause that he was really passionate about— mm-hmm. At least from what I could tell, looking back at what he's done, it doesn't seem to be something that he's personally invested in trying to solve for. Him giving us quotes of what the price point is to buy slaves in other part, in other countries, like, wait, where were you? Mm-hmm. What were you doing this? And why have you brought this up yeah. as, a, as something that you really care about to try to bring light to so that we can actually try to address those issues? The whole thing is super cringy to me. Um, and and it, it's interesting because he keeps on talking about being misquoted. The problem with this guy, he has mm-hmm. so much to quote from. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was looking at, at the Fox News article. Mm-hmm. From there, I clicked on to see like the, his apology on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And then people responding to his apology on Twitter with screenshots of all of his other tweets, of which were all super racist. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, that's right. Not, you know, here's your other not racist remarks. Mm-hmm. And then one after, after another, another, after yeah. another, after another. Like, so what, you know, to me, the, the soccer federation here has no, should have no interest in having people like that that are simply just trying to create uh, issues and, and not really being, you know, at least what doesn't seem like actual productive conversation. Did you get the sense from this that this federation maybe had had run-ins with him before? I, I have to imagine, man. I mean, it, it, once again, if you, if you looked at his commentary, this is not like a count- one-time right. comment. But you know? you, presumably these like folks a- get together, they have council meetings, there's, you know, whatever. And and it, it just seems, again, we don't know, but it seemed that there may have been something happening before this. I mean, just from the initial comment, the apology, the 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 other tweets that that at least I've seen so far with very little research, found a bunch of other of the of other posts of other mm-hmm. tweets that he had. They were mm-hmm. all 
on their own very controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have to imagine this guy is not the, the easiest guy to uh, to interact with. So yeah, so you're cringe. Yes. I'm, so uh, you know, I'm sorry. Your courage, cringy oh, was cr- the entire courage, thing. Courage yeah. on the yes, that's yeah. Right, that's and right. I agree with you that yeah, the yeah. entire episode was was cringe, and this uh, person speaks in a way that, for the same reasons I cited in the Smith College story are not going to build very many relationships, okay? It's just not, yeah. It's just not. So, and I think super inelegant and starting off the conversations with the 5% is black on black crime and only a small percentage right. own slaves. What that's doing is it's, um, e- even though, e- e- you know, even if you look at uh, black on black crimes and whatever the slaveholder percentage was vis-a-vis the population, you're not making a historical point. What there is, you're, you're trying to build up sort of a, uh, you know, an argument that's going to lead you to a place to, you know, that basically, to my mind, um, diminishes these folks who you're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, whoever they may happen to be. So all of that is true. However, I think that the decision that the organization took was also cringe. And that's where I net out on this for a couple of reasons, at least based on the articles that we read. Number one, it doesn't seem to be any due process at all that was given to this guy. Now, I know that this is an organization and you're probably a volunteer member of it and you don't get due process. This isn't a legal issue, but they should have suspended him. They should have talked to him, afforded him an opportunity to actually say, what did you mean? Especially if this was the first time he's done it. Now, again, this is why I asked the question earlier. Right. If it this, is, if me, this yeah. is part 50 of, of issues with this guy and he just hasn't learned, I don't know. But based on what we know, there was this one particular um, you know, issue. And so for those reasons, um, I, I, for that reason, I don't think that they should have taken the step that they took to immediately remove this guy and also kind of mark him in, the, in a particular way from doing it. I also found something really sort of quasi-concerning, quasi-chilling about the reasoning that they gave. They, almost because they either didn't finish a sentence uh, or they meant it this way, and that's what makes it even a little bit more concerning. They said, while the council understands that each person has a right to his, his or her own opinion, there are certain opinions that go beyond the realm of what is appropriate or acceptable. Now, I wish there had been a dot, dot, dot at the end of that sentence, and that sentence should have ended with, for membership in this body, right? In other words, opinions that go beyond what's acceptable for membership in this particular group or in this particular body, right? But the fact that they left it just sort of open-ended, the reason that I find that somewhat concerning is because I think it points to, you know, a, a, a way of thinking that I don't think uh, leads us to a positive place, and that is that there are, you know, there's there's opinions that I like, and then there's opinions that are not good because they don't accord with my view of the world. And I think in general we have to be open to other points of view. Now, having said that, I obviously believe that there's appropriate and acceptable behavior in general, and we need to have mm-hmm. morals and laws and all that stuff, right? But my point is that. Um, that that was kind of the little capstone on my rationale, right? I don't think they gave the guy due process. I think they could have taken a number of different steps and then they could have taken their action at some other point afterwards. But it seemed very immediate. It seemed on the heels of this meeting that they were having where he spoke out and they just retaliated and now it's become a war. And I think that that's unfortunate to everybody in the process. So for me, ultimately on the way that they did it is a cringe, despite the fact that everything that the guy did to me is also cringy. Yeah, and I mean, that's the part we we don't know. There could have been, I think, a lot of other there issues that sure. up to this. It definitely feels that way just from seeing some of his comments. And this is a guy that is not shy to, you know, put out very controversial mm-hmm. um, and non-constructive commentary. And that's the, I think that's the point where, I, where when I look at this, I have a really hard time giving him any kind of, you know, benefit of the doubt. 
because he's not coming from a place of trying to fill to to build bridges. He's and again, what, what? And again, you run no risk. Suspend the guy, and then after a week later, tell him he's gone. But so, like when you just go to the executioner right out of the gate, to me, I always right. wonder if it's political in nature. Um, yeah, could be the case. All right, let's let's move on to our to our last topic, and this is a little different one because we haven't t- a, li- a little different, slightly different. Uh, we haven't talked about this industry very much before, which is the toy industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll read you the headline, which would be a f- you know a doozy. Kobe CEO issues apology for construction toys depicting Nazi Germany pull sets from sale. <laughs> So not going to be a good one, right? Of all the conference room discussions you can exactly. imagine was the one where they brought this up and like, hey, you know what? We're thinking about yeah, exactly. A, we're thinking about <laughs> a Nazi thinking about? schooner. What do you think? The, um, the best part, and we have to put it as part of the show notes, is the images of the actual toys themselves. It's yeah. like I was telling you when I was you know doing the research for this piece, I, I I really did think like, man, this almost seemed like a spoof that you would see like a late night television, like someone or like SNL. It's yeah. so ridiculous that well, no one ever do that, right? But no, no, no. Kobe did it. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> but C-O-B-I, a different Kobe. C O B I. Just to be clear, yeah. C O B I. Um, Polish company. Polish co- Polish toy maker, right? Mm-hmm. So they got themselves some hot water by the release of this new building set from its historical collection, right? So the the, the actual controversial toys themselves. There are actually two uh, uh, types of Jeeps. One is a limited edition 1939 Mercedes G4. Uh, and look, this is a piece that was uh, a three to forty piece vehicle that comes with minifigures of Field Marshal Paulus. And an Abwehr officer, right? Um, in this case, Paulus was a field marshal who led the Sixth Army of the Wehrmacht. I cannot pronounce these. A, uh, the Unified Forces of Nazi Germany, right, mm-hmm. during World War II. Mm-hmm. The second one was a 1938 Mercedes 770 Limited Edition. Um, by the way, which was described, and this is the part that was, to me was the, the funniest part. On the pre-order page, it was described as the car that Adolf Hilter affection had a lot of affection for for that vehicle and gave it to two people that he, you know he really liked. It's a nice share text for the yeah, Instagram great share post. text. Right? <laughs> Hitler's favorite vehicle. Exactly. Hitler's favorite now vehicle. Now, 1999. So, a Kobe spokesperson initially responded to the contra- to the to the conver- controversy mm-hmm. by saying, "At Kobe, we're always aimed at to represent history in the most accurate way possible, and that means bringing attention to historical figures of all kinds, both positive and negative. Our sincere belief, too, is that by highlighting certain aspects of history, mm-hmm. we are in no way trivializing the past, but instead bringing a laser focus on specific events and people in history." so as to create more informed society. Coming soon, our Black Plague pr- playset. <laughs> exactly, right? Uh, but since the story broke, um, they were getting a lot of pressure, even from other toy makers, right? So other toy makers came out and like were all condemning yeah. the work by here by Kobe Toys. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, uh, the CEO came out, Robert Podols. Uh, he put out a statement that says, Look, I'm the grandson of a soldier of the Polish army who fought for his homeland in 1939. My grandfather was taken prisoner by the Soviets and escaped from there. Unlike so many, he survived the horrendous Nazi-Soviet occupation. My other grandfather was a prisoner of the Treblinka concentration camp. Mm. Now, he goes to explain what they were doing. Okay, so We were attempting to cast a spotlight on historical conflicts that shaped the world. Why they came to be and why knowing about the past can lead to a more equitable, positive, and inclusive future. Unfortunately, we did not do a particularly good job explaining this goal through our products and recent actions. A recent set of ours was posted uh, on our social media sites and featured the names and likeness of two German high officers. This was a first for us and will be the last. We have also realized that they're, they're, that we're not doing a thorough enough job in reviewing the comments and third-party posts on our social media accounts. Certain people are changing, customizing our products, and posting content that's obviously offensive or repulsive. They should have been condemned or removed immediately. I mean, the fact that you didn't think this could happen, like that's one that like, I, I just I don't understand it. 
He's like, I also believe in fighting anti-Semitism in all forms. To that end, Colby will be actively supporting the Anti-Defamation League, mm-hmm. another organization to support this cause around the world. By the way, just to wrap this up, they do have a little bit of a history of controversy. In 2014, the Washington Post reported that Colby sets were removed from Gika's, a Swedish department store, because of concern, concerned parents. In 2018, a line of Kobe tanks was removed from the cell at a store in Berlin after it was discovered that the collection included Nazi-era tanks that had been present, presented with generic symbols in place of the actual icons of the regime. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it, it, maybe not ironic. So not, is not the first time that they that they. I was going to say it's not a, ironic is the wrong word, but there is serious sensitivity of all places in Germany for anything that's for that, sure, that's, yeah. that's Nazi related. Okay, so l- let me let me um, go on this one really quickly. I first of all, I read the man's apology, and the the courage or cringe is on the um, statement that they made, right? On the apology itself. Yeah, the apology on them coming out. Yeah. So so look, I'm going to end up on courage on this one. Here's why. So I think these guys have a marketing problem and a communications problem. I don't think that they are um, inherently racist or trying to indoctrinate young you, you, kids in Poland to be. You don't Nazi think that they have a product problem as well? They have a product problem as well. Yeah. So. So so what problem don't they have? Is we think of product marketing communication. It's got a number of problems. Right. But 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 <laughs> here's here's the thing. So number one, uh-huh. um, you know, I I read the the letter from this guy and it seemed really sincere. And you know, his parents were survivors of these concentration camps sure. and grandparents. The key was this is the first time that they had utilized actual names and historical figures. And for the record, this company makes toys, yes, but they're toys that are historical toys. And they actually have a WW2 collection. So this isn't the context of like we're making Barbies or Matchbox cars and all of a sudden we decide to come out with the, you know, uh, whatever, the, the, you know, the, the Luftwasser uh, uh, tank set. This is in the context of a company that makes historical toys. But they admitted... And this is the first time that they had used actual names of people. And when you use the actual names of people, you attach a whole other value to this. The people that they decided to uh, illustrate in these toys were actual German officers that had roles in the Nazi regime in World War II. Like, yeah, that's a bad, that's a step in the wrong direction, right? Because you're saying, and you're going to use this as your debut effort. The other, right. the other thing is that um, they, they weren't um, specific about what they were trying to achieve with these things, right? They're saying it in retrospect, hey, we really want to educate people. We want kids to have a perspective on, um, on historical events. That's why we build these things. That's why we want to make them accurate and history is messy and it's not always going to be roses. That's all great. You should have said that in the beginning, not in response to somebody being offended by, you know, this this right. this car. That may have helped, but I think the big key was using the names of these particular soldiers. I I don't think for in the context of a company that makes historical items and has a World War II collection that you can call that collection complete without having something about Germany. I mean, they were in World War II, so you have to include that. But it's the how you do that. That I think is the issue. I don't subscribe to the camp that says mm-hmm. we can't talk about certain aspects of World War II because they're just too brutal. I think if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. And I think if we hide from some of this stuff, that's not good. So ultimately, I came down on courage for the apology that was made, uh-huh. given those particular uh, circumstances. Yeah, I guess for, for me, it was more like what I was saying already. Wrong product, wrong marketing, right? wrong messaging. I mean, I can't think of a right thing that they did on this one. Mm-hmm. I really, I really can't. Especially when you have toys that are being marketed to kids ages six and up, right? Um, 
I mean, the, the by the way, their next collection is the 9-11 collection. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Right, which is right. like, but the planes, they blow by themselves. With real, with real uh, you explosive can see action. That, yeah, you can, yeah, you can, you know, like, and then we'll go from there, right? And, yeah. I mean, I, I but understand. that's the question, though. Like, I, I understand. There's some, yeah, there's some things in history that are just not worth illustrating for the purposes of, of but, education but not, or kids. See, but to me, it's not about not illustrating things in history. Is the is the how you do it? That's what I mean. Yeah, for this it's, context, it's simply creating toys out of very serious historical issues. There are certain things that you just there are certain lines that I think are very hard to cross because the reality is, and this is exactly what happened to them, is that people that are going to buy these toys as mm-hmm. collectors. And use them as a teaching tool, by the way, to teach the wrong lessons mm-hmm. are going to be uh, many times folks that are actually much for this camp, right? And that's what that's what they were talking about, not not doing a better job of managing their their social media because people started to repost it. But as a, as a form of pride of people that are for Nazi regime, that are for the same ideology that created the, the situation. So in essence, you're creating this this toy line for people that, that uh, idolize this, uh, you know, this mentality. And that's... And it's really hard to create a fine line between the two because you don't get to control that message within within that toy. These guys have, I'm looking at the site, right? They've got a Vietnam War collection. They've got a Cold War. They've got the world of tanks. They've got soldier figures. They've got all of these different things. So would you, again, the whole context of the company is historical toys. So would your solution from a product pipeline standpoint had been to skip over World War II? I, I wouldn't create, uh, I, I would, how was this? I was a starting point. I would not create historical toys in the, if you want to be historically accurate mm-hmm. for kids. I will start so with you that. Would, you would shut the company down. Yeah, I think it's the wrong product to begin with. I, I don't agree with, with, with what they're doing. I think the, their entire approach of what they're having is only going to get worse. I mean, look, you can go beyond that. Is uh, Salem witch trial? Let's have little, you know, a bunch of girls that get burned at the, at the stake. Mm-hmm. Uh, think about all the stuff. The, the Inquisition. Let's have a bunch of people die. That are you know, see what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. and that if you're really trying to do it through through toys, I think it's the wrong product for what you're trying. If part of if your goal is to be educational uh, and to I just think this is not the way to the way to be, to be able to do it. I have a really hard time with that, um, and and the fact that they didn't see this coming that creating toys around uh, basically Nazi figures mm-hmm. wouldn't automatically get adopted, maybe most most enthusiastically by those that support Nazi mentality or, or ideology. It's like, dude, what were you thinking? Like, why wouldn't you think that would happen? Yeah. And I think it would be the same thing on, on any other ones, right, that, that they create. I mean, it's, that's why, to me, it's, it's just really hard to understand how they would do that. Uh, I understand that. I, I definitely I definitely don't agree that you can't have toys that are uh, emblematic of the military or things like that. I remember, you know, I played with little toy soldiers when I was a kid and everything. And not to say that... I didn't that say I, that. Well, no, but you're but this, this whole company's... Use cases they can, make toys f- that have a military context. I, I got it. You can make toys that are like military toys, sure. Okay. The, the problem is when you try to be historically accurate to highlight those things, and especially in this case, I think with Nazis, they have a very specific ideology around them, right. and symbolism means so much to them. And for the record, I think it's very, very difficult to do that in a toy format without I open opportunity that. for people that are actually uh, fans of 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 not being a of Nazi ideology right. to want to be the first to embrace that. That's right. that's what I'm 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 not referring to you can't build any tanks, you can't build any jeeps. Sure, you can. Right. There's plenty and, of that. And and for the record, um, not that you know, because I feel the need to to uh, to to say this, the toy that they did, which is no longer listed, but there's images of it didn't have Nazi symbolism. It had the German cross and some of the symbols of the German government, but it did cite actual people 
right. who did have a role. Right. And I think that ultimately was the huge error it's that like they when you made. Get, right. I, I, I agree with you. I think that's the, that's the problem, right? Uh, to me, that's, that's the issue with trying to do it through toys that you can't really control what the message is, mm-hmm. which is different than creating content. Cartoons, you could create that. Mm-hmm. But you control the message in terms of how that gets interpreted because you're controlling the full end-to-end message. You, I think it's really hard to do with, with the toys, which is why I think it's the wrong product to begin with. Um, and then them just like being like, I don't know. I feel like like they are, um, you know, not understanding how people could take that and run with it and, and turn into what exactly this turned into. I think I just have a really hard time understanding that. So cool. which, is, which is why I ended up with with cringe on, on, on him and the entire product line and what they're doing. Makes sense. Either way, I don't think there's anybody, including me, out in a hurry trying to buy a World War II historical toys. But um, there's but, 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 a market you, you, for You want to hear a funny, a funny yeah, uh, uh, German World War II joke? Sure. <laughs> because that's what we uh, do here. So I was watching uh, TikTok, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, there's like the whole thing, there's a whole series that people do like, tell me you're this without telling me you're this, right? Or, mm-hmm. or they, they have a bunch of like, tell me they're you're married formal. without without telling me you're, you're married, right? Right. And there was one that I said like, tell me what your country is most popular for or most known for, right? And then these two German guys come on screen and they're going, the guy says, war, war. And before he says that, the guy in front says, cars. And they look at the guy like, what are you doing? He's like, yes, yes, cars. And they both say, yeah, cars. Cars. But like, you can tell the guys were just about to say World War II, right? And mm. it's just hilarious. Right. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, why are you bringing that up? And I think in many cases, this is the kind of reaction you get uh, when people are not being sensitive to that. So yeah. there's definitely some sensitivity issues with it, with this company. And I just... Yeah, this is not gonna. Well, not this? gonna end. I'll well. call it in the in not gonna end well category. Yeah, so like it reminds me of when my kids were younger, and I used to always tell them when I saw them playing with like you know something. I was like, it's gonna end in tears. <laughs> exactly. And I could have told you that one with this one from the very beginning. <laughs> exactly. All right, Jesus. Any words of wisdom? Uh, no Parting thoughts. No, no. I think I think we're good. A lot All right. Of- a lot, of, a lot of pendulum swinging here we're talking about. Absolutely. And it looks like the pendulum will continue to swing and we'll catch up with it wherever it's swinging next week on another episode of TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, coworkers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez with production services by Jose Manuel Durquidi and Luis Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Network. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown.